Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 15. We're going to be leaning in to verses 12 and 13. While you're turning there, I uh, just want to remind you as a church, we're on a journey of prayer uh, where we commit to pray for one thing uh, for one minute at one o'clock every day. And I want to invite you to join us on that journey for this week, uh, praying specifically for Christmas Eve worship gathering. Our Christmas Eve worship is going to be a wonderful time of celebration, and, and we're going to have Christmas Eve worship at 3 o'clock at Volvo. At Volvo. Everybody say hi to the Volvo congregation. Uh, y'all did really good. That was great. Uh, uh, at 3 o'clock and at 7 o'clock at Volvo, we're going to have Christmas Eve. And then 5 o'clock at First Norfolk on Kempsville, we're going to be having Christmas Eve gathering. You want to be sure and be here, but also invite your friends. Do you know that more people are receptive to an invitation to come to a church event when it is Christmas Eve? Just Christmas Eve. Uh, and people want to be a part of that. It's part of the traditions that they carry. Uh, but invite them, and our prayer is that those who are far from God would find life through faith in Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that those who are disconnected uh, from Christ would be reconnected through what God does in their hearts and their lives at Christmas Eve. So take a stack of cards and invite people uh, at your work, at your school. Invite people in your neighborhood and community, the places where you shop. Invite people to come join us at 3, 5, or 7 o'clock for Christmas Eve. And it is going to be a wonderful time. 5 o'clock here, 3 o'clock at, uh, and 7 o'clock at First Norfolk on Volvo Parkway. So you be sure and join us there. And let's pray at 1 o'clock. Go ahead and set the reminders on your uh, cell phones and uh, stick it notes. And let's pray at 1 o'clock for one minute for what God has in store uh, for Christmas Eve uh, with us. And uh, that'll be a great blessing uh, to the seven cities of Hampton Roads as well. Today, we're continuing our journey and talking about the prayers uh, the ancient prayers of humanity. And we've looked at prayer for peace last week. And that prayer for peace, we heard uh, the cry for peace in the midst of distress and distressing circumstances from Isaiah chapter 9. Today, we're looking at the cry for hope. Hope is something that's written into the DNA of every human being. Every human heart longs to have hope. Uh, hope is defined in this way, biblical hope, uh, the kind of hope that we're going to be talking about today, hope is the confident expectation and contagious enthusiasm for what is about to happen. And keep it simple, confident expectation and contagious enthusiasm for what is about to happen. And as we look at hope today, we know that we live in a world that is bereft of hope. Bereft being a big word that means that the world is broken and people are living in despair. Uh, we live in a world that's broken, and we know this. This isn't news to us, uh, but uh, the question then comes, if we live in a broken world and people are looking for hope and have been looking for hope, and you're looking for hope, and I'm looking for hope, where do we find hope? Uh, where 
can we find hope uh, for everyday living, for here and now living? What is it that will give us a confident expectation and a contagious enthusiasm for my life today and my tomorrows? Where can we find hope? The truth is we look for hope in a lot of different places. We look for hope and plant our hopes in containers that can't hold it. In order to illustrate this, I want to bring your attention to one great Christmas movie and novel. There's a great Christmas novel that was penned and turned into a television miniseries. And this great Christmas novel is called Lonesome Dove. Lonesome Dove. Now, how many of y'all know Lonesome Dove? You've heard of it. You've seen it. Maybe you watch television. It's, it's a story about, really, the two main characters, or the primary character is a guy named Woodrow Call. He uh, was a Texas Ranger in the 1800s in Texas itself, uh, and he had a sidekick whose name was Augustus McRae. Now, Woodrow Call was a very staid, stolid type person. He was very dependable, very quiet, very methodical, very intense, and uh, uh, one of those guys that you would imagine conquered the West. That was, uh, that was Woodrow Call. Gus McRae, on the other hand, again, a little bit crazy, a little bit wild, a little bit uh, rough and tumble kind of guy, always had salty wisdom to share and lived kind of a salty kind of life, but he was partners with Woodrow Call. And they retired from the Texas Rangers and settled in a dusty border town called Lonesome Dove. Now, I would recommend you read this novel by Larry McMurtry. It's a great novel, and the subsequent novels are also wonderful. Uh, But I want to call your attention to something Gus McRae said. He had a lot of quotable things that he said, but... On one occasion, he was talking to a young lady about a common friend whose name was Jake. And Jake was also an ex or a former Texas Ranger, but unlike Gus McRae or Augustus McRae or Woodrow Call, Jake was a roustabout. He lived very close to the border between right and wrong and ventured often across the border to the wrong. <clears throat> He was a card sharp and eventually lost his life because he stole a horse. But he was also kind of apparently a handsome man and he had great promises that he made to young ladies. And would, uh, Gus McRae was talking to one of the young ladies that, uh, to whom Jake had made a promise to uh, take her off and, and live in splendor. And here's how Gus described Jake's promise. He said, Jake always was too leaky a vessel to put hope into. Jake always was too leaky a vessel to put hope into. In the novel, Gus pauses as if reflecting about himself or about others. And he continued and he said, but all vessels leak to some degree. You think about that. 
That truly is the picture of the things in which we try to plant our hope. Jake is too leaky a vessel to put hopes into, but we all are too leaky of vessels to put hopes into. Some worse than others, some better than a few, but here we are, all imperfect vessels, and we are incapable of containing hope for others. In fact, I would contend that the journey and the cry for hope has been a cry because we've been planting our hopes into vessels that can't deliver. It can't hold hope. Every now and then, we might get a taste of hope. Maybe a little bit of excitement, like uh, uh, this afternoon, we'll watch the Dallas Cowboys beat the Indianapolis Colts, and, and we'll have a, have a little bit of excitement as we anticipate that wonderful moment. But what happens if they lose? They won't, but what happens if they lose? Hopes are gone. They'll still win the division. That's all we care about. They still have NFC East. Anyway, now we have these things that we put our hopes in, but they're, they're not capable of sustaining hope in such a way that we have joy and peace every day. That's our problem. We're, we're depending upon our uh, finances to give us hope. That's a vessel, but it's a leaky vessel. We're depending upon our retirement to give us hope. Well, that's a vessel, but it's still a leaky vessel. We're dependent upon our experience, our hard work, our good efforts, our charisma to give us hope. And, and those are um, perhaps good, but not necessarily nearly as good as some other things. And it's still a leaky vessel, incapable of giving and sustaining a hopeful life, a, a life that is filled day to day, moment by moment, regardless of roadblocks or setbacks, joy and peace. We need that kind of hope, and that's the kind of hope that God intended for us to have. A confident expectation and a contagious enthusiasm about every single day of life, not just the good days. So how do we get that kind of hope? I, and, and truth is, we're filled with disappointments, and you and I understand disappointments. We live in those disappointments. Disappointment that, that we have, like, uh, uh, say, a young boy, five or six years old, is, has made a long list of different things that he would like for Christmas, and, and on that list is, is a BB gun or a pellet gun or a, a Atari, old school, Otari, where you could play ping pong and asteroids. It's, it's, it's old school, but, but you have this list, and it has all these great little uh, things that, that he wants for Christmas, and, and he wakes up at the break of dawn, and he goes and finds his little bunch of packages under the Christmas tree, and he begins to open the package, and the first one he opens, expecting a little Red Ryder BB gun, what does he find? A package that says Hanes on the front of it. As we got older, we learned to, to mask our disappointment with, oh, thank you so much for this sweater. This is exactly what I always wanted. It's chartreuse. It's got tassels on it. But I'll wear it Christmas Eve. It's going to be perfect. You know, we learned to mask our disappointment. At five and six, you didn't learn to mask your disappointment. You dug into that package and you found a package that says Hanes on the front. And you say, socks? Socks? It's Christmas. Why do I have socks? 
We, we have those disappointments in life, and, and, and really every day can be a journey in disappointment, can it not? We all have our share of disappointments every single day, some great, some small, but always there. And, and the question is, how do you have, find a hope that sustains joy and peace even in the face of the most painful disappointments? How can you have confident expectation and contagious enthusiasm when life turns sour? Can I tell you, that's the story of Christmas. That's what Christmas is all about. It's not about the miracle, Hallmark miracle of Christmas. Again, I'm still stuck on Hallmark movies, aren't you? Don't you love them? I've said this, and everybody now appreciates the fact that I love Hallmark movies. Can I tell you, Hallmark movies are not real. It's not real life. Everything doesn't turn out just rosy in the end. Sometimes the cat dies. I don't think I would have gotten as much a reaction if I would have said, sometimes mama dies. But if I say, sometimes the cat dies, everybody goes, oh, no, not the cat. <laughs> Seriously. Real life is filled with setbacks, roadblocks, detours, and crashes because we live in a broken world. And so Paul wants to awaken us again to the joy of Christmas where, where our hope is realized. Look at Romans 15, verse 12 and 13. Paul introduces Christmas in verse 12 as he quotes from Isaiah. He says, Isaiah says, there shall be a root of Jesse, and he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, underline this, in him the Gentiles shall have hope. Verse 13, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you may overflow in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Christmas reveals God's plan to give us hope. And it's, it's a hope that gives us and sustains for us joy and peace regardless of the circumstances that come our way. In, in fact, I would contend that Christmas teaches us when you have an unwanted pregnancy, there's still hope. When your fiancé seemingly cheats on you, there is hope. When the king of the land seeks to kill you, there is hope. The Christmas story, just the very narrative around Bethlehem and the birth of Jesus and then Herod trying to kill Jesus, all of that is wrapped up in the story of Christmas and yet underlying every aspect, every line, every noun and verb in the story of Christmas is written hope. And the same is true for your life and mine here and now and, and each day that we live that that Christmas is God's answer to our ancient prayer for hope. And Paul was writing to believers in the church in Rome, and he was, he was talking to them about, first, he started by telling them that, that there is a thief of hope. You have to go all the way back to Romans chapter 1. You look at Romans chapter 1, 2, and 3. All the way to verse 20, you see that, that Paul is describing the very thing that steals hope from humanity. It's called sin. 
And that is the thief of hope, sin. Why is sin the thief of hope? Because sin is what separates us from God. The way we find hope is by uh, uh, living each moment in the presence of God. What keeps us from the presence of God is sin. So Paul begins his letter in Romans uh, by saying, hey, listen, sin is the thief of hope. You live with a restless heart because you have not found your home with God. And therefore, you have no hope. Ephesians, he said a little bit differently. He's speaking to you and to me. He says, hey, hey, listen, we were once living helplessly and hopelessly in this world, separated from the covenant of promise with God, Living without hope because we're living without God. So he says in Ephesians 2, and in Romans 1 through 3, he says, Sin has killed us, separated us from God, killed all chance of hope. But beginning in verse 21 of chapter 3, all the way into chapter 5 and 6 and 7 and 8, Paul then begins to describe how that God, in his great love, determined to rescue us through sending Jesus. And that's what Isaiah is talking about here uh, that Paul quotes in Romans 15, 12. He's saying there will be a, a, a root of Jesse. He's talking about the Messiah. He's talking about Jesus born in Bethlehem. He's talking to you and to me about the one who has come to rescue us, to, uh, uh, to, to imprison the thief of sin, the thief of hope, which is sin, and to set us free from the chains of sin. By his own sacrificial death on the cross. By by dying in our place on a cross, Jesus paves the way to hope for you and me. You and I can have hope not because we've done something to deserve hope. We can have a confident expectation for our now and our forever and a contagious enthusiasm about our now and our forever because Jesus has destroyed the chain of sin that has blocked me from fellowship with God. Look, turn over in your copy of Scripture to Romans chapter 5. You're at Romans 15 right now. Just turn it over a couple of, a couple of pages to Romans chapter 5. I want, you to, I want you to hear what Paul says. He says, all right, so the reason he talks about um, the last phrase in 1512, Paul says, in him the Gentiles shall hope. In him, we have hope. He's talking about Jesus. Why? Why do we have hope in Jesus? Well, look in Romans chapter 5. We were separated from God by our sin, and that sin has killed our hope. Made everything a leaking vessel. Okay? But here's what God has done through Christ. Therefore, Romans 5 verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access by faith into this grace by which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, verse 3, not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. And perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. Verse 5, now hope, the hope that God gives us in Christ, now hope does not leak. You see it? Now hope 
does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Keep on going. Verse 6, for, for, for when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Uh, yet perhaps for a good man, someone may dare to die. But God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for me. Oh, my goodness. Here's the good news of Christmas about which the angels sang. Good tidings of great joy be for all people unto you is born this day in the city of David, the Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Paul in Romans 15 is talking about the root of Jesse. He's saying the Messiah has come and he's going to do more than, than bring justice, although he'll bring justice. What he's really all about is rescuing sinners from their sin so that we can now walk and live in hope. What, what we need to understand, as Paul keeps on in this narrative, Romans chapter 6, uh, he, he talks about how that we are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And we need to make that determination. We're dead to sin and alive to God. We don't have to live hopelessly because we are now in the family of God, and that gives us hope. Romans 7 and 8, he talks about how that we're freed from the curse of the law, and there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So much so that, that we revel in the hope of God's glory along with all creation, and even more than that, that there is absolutely nothing in, in, in heaven or earth, no, neither death nor life nor principalities nor powers, there, there's neither height nor length nor depth nor any other created thing will ever be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In chapters 9 through 11, Paul says this isn't an accident, but this is the planned, uh, determined purpose of God. As he worked through the history of, of Jewish people and Gentiles alike, he was paving the way toward his son who would deliver hope to humanity. Chapter 12, everything turns. Paul moves from all this great doctrine and theology. He says, now, here's how you're supposed to live your life. Romans 12, 1, Paul says, I beg you, therefore, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your reasonable service of worship. And don't be conformed any longer to the mold of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove that which is the good and the perfect, the acceptable will of God. He says, let's live as sacrifices to the one who has given us life so that we might taste the hope that we have in him. And then he moves on in chapters 13 and 14, talks about relationships in the church. And now in chapter 15, he begins to sum everything up, begins in verse 1. And he says, we need to accept, embrace one another just as Jesus has embraced us so that we are neither Jew nor Gentile, but we are Jew and Gentile made together into the family of God so that with one voice we can praise the Lord together. Which leads him to quote Isaiah. He says, now here's why we have hope. It's because of Jesus. And then this prayer that he prays, a benediction of sorts in verse 13. He says, now may the God of hope fill you with all Joy and peace in believing, so that you may overflow in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
and break that little phrase down a little bit. Can I, can I just tell you, and, and really it's a one-point sermon. We're here, okay? This is it, the one point. You want hope in your life. I want hope in my life. Circumstances are going to be tough, and things are going to uh, dissipate and dismantle and derail us, and we're, we're going to struggle to have hope. If we are looking to misplaced vessels, those, those vessels that, that can't hold our hope, if I'm depending upon uh, the best people I know to give me hope, I'm going to be disappointed. Hope is not built on performance or probabilities. Hope is built on the promise of God and the person of that promise. Listen. Hope is not built on our performances or the probabilities of life. Hope is built on the promise of God and the person of that promise. You want hope in your life. I want hope in my life. I want to taste the fruit of hope. You know what the fruit of hope is? Joy and peace. I I want to live that kind of life, but the way we get there even as followers of Christ today who are still struggling in hope, the way we get there is, when, is to turn to the source and the supplier of hope. And that's God. God is the source of hope. The God of hope. May the God of hope. That means he's the, he is the fount from which all hope pours. May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace. That's the fruit of hope. Joy and peace, uh, uh, the happy dance, no doubt, that's joy. But peace is more than just a happy dance. Peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is a satisfied and settled soul in the face of difficulties. No matter what we face, I'm settled because why, why do I have the happy dance even when the sky is falling? How can I have a happy dance? How can I have a settled soul, satisfied and content, even when the sky is falling? How can I have it? Because I have hope. I have a confident expectation and a contagious enthusiasm for what God is doing. And it's not dependent upon the circumstances around me. It's not dependent upon the performance of others around me. It's not dependent upon the probabilities that I face. It is dependent solely upon the source and the supplier of hope, and that is God himself. So my job is to make sure that I am turning and tuning to the source of hope and find my supply of hope from him. What that, what that means is that if you want joy and you want peace, then you've got to stop trusting in a leaky vessel. Stop looking to a leaky vessel to hold your hope. It won't do it. I, I, I gave up styrofoam coffee cups a long time ago. You know why? Because in the morning and in the mid-morning and in the noontime and then afternoon and then in, at night and even before I go to bed, I need a cup of coffee. <laughs> Haven't had one today and I'm just a little bit nervous about it. <laughs> I need a cup of coffee. And, and styrofoam, as wonderful as it is to keep your fingers warm from that hot cup of coffee, styrofoam is more susceptible to breaking. Breaking. At the bottom, 
You put, how many times have you done this? You take a styrofoam cup, you, you put it in the cup holder in your car, and there's something in that cup holder in the car that, that, that punctures that styrofoam. Pretty soon you have a cup holder. I've been known to get a straw and try to get that coffee out of You know what I'm saying? I mean, I want my coffee, and oh, the disappointment when I'm using, drinking coffee out of a leaking cup. We're trying, to, we're, trying to, we're trying to get our hope from a leaky vessel and we wonder why it is that we lack joy and peace in the midst of daily life. It's because we're thinking our bank account is somehow, somehow going to give us hope. It's not, guys. I don't, it doesn't matter how big your bank account is. It doesn't produce the hope that we need in life. My daughter, uh, youngest daughter, came home from college yesterday, and uh, she's at George Mason. It's her freshman year. It's one semester down, uh, 22 more to pay for. I, uh, she, she, she came home yesterday, and, and she drove in. She's so excited about Christmas break. She did great at, at school, so proud of her. And she's sitting there, and we're talking, debriefing about different things. And I was working on the, my talk today, and I said, how would you all define hope? And what she said captured my attention mainly because it, 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 it was pretty good and it fit what I wanted to say. Um, but she said, she said, hope is coming home from Christmas break and looking at the GPS and it says 19 miles till home. That's hope. Now some of us feel like we've got thousands and thousands of miles till we find home for our restless heart. But because God is the source of hope and the supplier of hope wherever you are, as a follower of Jesus, he is ready to pour into your life joy and peace no matter the roadblocks or the setbacks or the detours or even the crashes. He's ready to give you hope that he is taking you home. A settled place, a secure place, a refuge for your soul. In the midst of everyday life, you can have joy when you look to God as the source. And he's also the supplier. And I love this picture here. He is, he is the supplier so that you may overflow with hope. God is a container that will not only hold our hope, but will overflow our hope. So that he's not leaking hope, he's adding so much that our soul is soaked with hope. We need to understand that in Jesus, we have hope. So let's look to him, let's turn to him, let's depend on him, let's, let's determine that we're not going to settle for any counterfeit container to try to hold hope for us, produce hope for us. We're not going to depend on our performance or the probabilities of the stock market, or a government, or a president, or a congress, or, or, or our friends, or our neighbors, or our mamas, or our daddies. We're not going to depend on any other faulty container to hold our hope or give us hope. We're going to look to the source and the supplier of hope. It's only Jesus who can take us from here to home and fill each moment with joy and peace.
even when the journey's tough. And I know you've got a tough journey. I, I do. I've been reading them, praying for you every day. I know, I know life is tough. I know decisions you have to make are, are challenging. I know relationships are fractured. I know finances are fragile. And the same thing's true in my life. Can I tell you, though, that in the face of all the uncertainties around us, even when the sky is falling, I can walk and live in joy and peace when I'm tuned my life to God as the source and the supplier of my hope. God of hope makes me overflow. Can I tell you? No matter how difficult your days may be, God has an endless supply of hope to soak in your soul. I don't know what everyone's going through, but I know the one who will go with it through you, go through it with you, and he will give you all that you need. So as we look at this passage, what what is it that we need to do? In order to grow hope. How do we grow hope in us? And, and, and please understand, as followers of Jesus, we have to have some help with hope. Because we are so earthbound that we will look to faulty containers, different styrofoam cups to try to hold the hope that we're looking for. And it's not going to work. So we need to grow in hope. How can we, as followers of Jesus, what do we need to do right now to grow in hope so that we live in the fruit of that hope? The joy and the peace that God provides. Well, the first thing I would encourage you to do is to increase the amount of time you spend with God in His Word. Well, why do I say that? Look up at verse 4. Romans chapter 15, look at verse 4. Now listen to what Paul writes. He's, He's talking to us about how we can live. He says, whatever things were written before, he's talking about the Old Testament, he's talking about Scripture, whatever things were written before were written for our learning, but not just so we would get smarter in Scripture stuff. That's not the purpose. He says, says, these were written for your learning so that we, through the patience and the comfort of Scriptures, might have, what's the word? Hope. If you have a hope deficiency, then you need to take more vitamins of God's Scripture. You need to spend more time in God's Word. You you, you need to digest. And I'm not talking about what John MacArthur says about God's Word. I'm not talking about what Beth Moore says about God's Word. I'm not, talking about, I'm not talking about what David Jeremiah says about his time in God's Word or, uh, or, or Charles Stanley says about his time in God's Word. I'm not talking about that. I'm not even talking about what Eric Thomas says about his time in God's Word. I'm talking about you personally, individually, as a follower of Jesus. You want hope. You're not going to get it by proxy. You need to open God's Word, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, God will take His Word and pour hope into your heart. And so increase the amount of, uh, increase your time with God in God's Word. Do it now. And you might say, well, preacher, I do once, I once a week. Good, great. 
Start with once a week, but up it to twice a week. If we're going to grow in hope, we need to spend more time in God's Word. If you're doing once a week, go to two times a week or, or three times a week. If you're doing three times a week, go to five times a week. If you're doing five times a week, then go to every day of the week. If you're going every day of the week, then do it two or three times during the day of every week. Spend time in God's Word. You need to grow in hope, then you need to grow in your time, allowing the Spirit of God, the power of the Spirit of God, to pour hope into your heart. This is how it works. My goodness, some of us are depending upon Hallmark movies to give us hope. Have we lost our minds? I'll tell you how the movie ends. Just go get God's Word and study that. Email me. I'll tell you how the movie ends. I don't even have to see it. I know exactly how it ends. You want to grow in hope? Increase your time in God's Word. You want to grow in hope? Second thing, identify misplaced Vessels, misplaced hopes, leaky vessels. Identify those things. We all have them. There are things that I'm depending on to give me a confident expectation, contagious enthusiasm about tomorrow, about what will come. I have those things. I have those leaky vessels. But if it's not God, it's not worth my time. In fact, it can be a distraction to keep me from tasting the joy and peace, the fruit of hope. Identify those things in your life that are leaky vessels and then dismiss them. Just push them to the side and say, God, I'm not going to allow any leaky styrofoam cup to distract me from looking to you, the source and supplier of hope. Pour hope in my heart. As we depend upon the power of the Spirit of God, believing that Jesus is the way for us to find hope as we depend upon the power of God and look in God's Word, dismiss leaky vessels, then God continues to give us a wokeness in hope so that we then can walk in the hope that He's woke in us. How y'all like that woke stuff? That's pretty good, wasn't it? it don't do that again. That's what my family's saying right now. Don't ever say woke again like that. And others in this room, you're like, what did he say? What's it? You're good. Hey, listen. Listen. God wants us to live each day in the joy and the peace that his spirit provides. In order to get there, in order to live in the fruit of that hope, We've got to look to God as our sole source and supplier of hope so that his joy and peace will overflow and abound in us. In order to increase the hope in my life, I need to open God's word and increase my time with God in his word so that the spirit of God who is working and operating in my life right now, he, so the spirit of God begins to pour into me the joy and the peace that I need. And I need to stop turning and tuning my heart to these distractions, these leaky vessels that can't hold hope. We need to increase our time in God's Word, identify um, leaky vessels. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, can I tell you, there's no hope for you to have hope until you come to the only one who can give you hope. There is no hope for you to have hope until you come to the person of hope. 
Confident expectation and contagious enthusiasm about tomorrow that lasts, that, that sustains and nourishes our soul can only be found in the family of God. And we can only come into the family of God when we repent our sin and trust in Jesus as the only way to forgive our sin. His death on the cross is payment for our sin. His resurrection from the dead as, as new life for us so that we are now brought into the family of God and can live in the presence of the one who alone is the source and the supply of hope. Today, I pray that we would walk in hope and that we would be filled to overflowing with a confident expectation and contagious enthusiasm about what God is doing in my life, my family, in my church. Let's walk in the hope that God gives. Would you bow your heads in prayer? God, we thank you that Christmas is the answer to our cry for hope. And I pray as we begin to respond to you in worship in these next few moments, I pray that you would speak to every person here exactly where they are. Lord, if there are some who have yet to embrace you as Savior and King, I pray that you would draw them to yourself right now and give them the courage in a few moments when we begin to sing. Give them the courage to stand and come and talk to one of the ministers here at the front. And Father, for those of us who are part of your family, pray that you would give us the courage to set aside those leaky vessels. Give us the courage to make a commitment to spend more time with you by reading your word so that we might have hope. I pray that you would open our eyes to see that the answer to hope comes through the Savior named Jesus, the King who has come to set us free and to give us life. And as we think and meditate and prayerfully consider the response that you would have us make in this moment, I pray that you would Soak our souls with hope as we set our gaze upon you and find our life fully satisfied in your embrace. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.